Welcome in, folks, to another episode of the Living in Hope podcast. I'm your host, Josie, and I love bringing you people's stories of God's faithfulness and the hope they have found in Him. We all have such unique stories, and today's guest has a beautiful one to tell. Sarah Coleman is a mother of 10, living right here in our Stanwood Camino community, but she has deep roots in the mission field in Mexico. She shares with us some great truths about our call to share God's truths and love, no matter where on this planet God has us. And she shares what she does when things go wrong or she doesn't have what she thinks she needs in the moment. Man, that struggle is real. And I know we've all had those times. Maybe you're even in a season of that right now. So be encouraged, my friends, and hear Sarah's story. I'm super excited because I have my friend Sarah Coleman here today to sit with me and have a conversation. I've been really looking forward to this podcast because Sarah is somebody that I really look up to and I've just been really excited to sit with her and hear more of her story and have her share it with you guys. So welcome, Sarah. Thank you. I'm so glad you're here. I would love it if you would just start us off by telling everybody a little bit about who you are and your family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, my name is Sarah Coleman and um, my husband Jim and I have 10 kids. And we live in Stanwood, and we've been residents of Stanwood for 18 years. I can't wow. believe it. That's awesome. Yeah. And before that, um, we've lived all over the place. We've lived in Texas, and um, we've lived a little bit in Mexico doing missions for a little bit there when we were first married. And yeah, life has been a real adventure. That's awesome. <laughs> and you want to tell us yes. a little bit about your kids and who, who mm-hmm. they are and... Yeah, our oldest is married. Um, our next is not. So we have six boys and four girls, and uh, three are married up to date, and then one is engaged. Ooh. And um, we have one granddaughter, and they're all just, each one is so individual and so different from every single other one. So it's really fun. It's sometimes a comedy show. <laughs> I love that. Keeping up with all of them. I love that. I think, you know, I mean, I, I only have three kids, but, you know, my husband has um, eight siblings. And so I feel like sometimes there's this expectation that when you have a bigger family that there's a lot more similarities between kids. And everybody, I think they kind of get lumped together. And it's like, no, they're really each their own person. Mm-hmm. So much so they're all so yeah. different. And it, it, it always, I always stand in wonder because... It makes me think that each child, each personality that's born into the world must be like a fingerprint from God because they're all so different. And so I just, I revel in that and I enjoy that. And I just, my husband and I just love to see how each one, how they each bless the family in different ways. And then what God has them to do when they grow up, that's up to the Lord. But we pray a lot for them. <laughs> don't don't we all, right? Yes. We spend more time on our knees for our children than mm-hmm. pretty much anyone else. Yes. Um, so I would love to know your own um, story of how you came to know Jesus in the first place. How mm-hmm. did you come to have a relationship with him? Well, I was really blessed to grow up with Christian parents. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was five, we were living in Mexico. We were My parents are mission, were missionaries. And I remember my mom talking to me about the Lord and me saying, I want to accept Jesus and kneeling down and praying by our chairs. And it was just as natural as here's breakfast. You know, it was so natural because um, they read us the Bible and we went to church with them and we knew who Jesus was. And it was just such a special moment when she prayed with me. Wow. 
when I was five. That's so sweet. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that. And so that kind of leads it because you're talking about your parents being missionaries. I'd love mm-hmm. to hear how you got started with um, maybe how your parents got started being missionaries in Mexico mm-hmm. and what that looked like for you for your life and mm-hmm. how you got how you were connected there. Well, my father was not raised in a Christian family. His father liked to teach his children what Jesus taught, but very much as instructional, mm-hmm. like doing to others. <laughs> um, but it wasn't until my father was a grown-up and he was in the university and he was becoming a chemist mm-hmm. and he was very lost in his soul and in his state of mind um, that he read the book of Matthew. Wow. And when he read the book of Matthew, he found so much um, relief and answers to all of his questions. And he believed and he thought he was the only Christian in the, in the world. at that point because he didn't know any other Christians well and I'm sure being involved in the sciences too is yes (laughs) and he I remember him saying he knew that the university and the professors were all trying to find out why we are here but they didn't really know and he understood that they're all searching Mm -hmm. everyone's looking for the answer so when he found Christ he felt like when he read the book of Matthew he felt like Jesus has the answers. These are the answers I've been looking for. And he believed. Oh, and wow. so he became an on-fire Christian. He evangelized all his friends. He was telling everyone about Jesus. And he thought everybody would listen. And everybody was like, pat him on. That's nice for you. <laughs> <laughs> but eventually he met my mom and they got married. And they just started this journey of trusting God. And um, they went to a church, Silver Lake Chapel, back in the day. It was like in the 1970s. Awesome. And I was born, and the pastor, his name was Arthur Sather, and he, um, he, th- he told my father once that he could see him as a missionary, that that would maybe be a neat calling for him. Oh, wow. And my dad was really open to whatever God wants me to do. So they took everything out of their apartment and put it on the front street and gave it all away. Wow. And packed up a Volkswagen van and drove to Texas, and he enrolled in linguistic training, and he went to um, Wycliffe Bible Translator School. So that was the original plan, was to become a Wycliffe Bible Translator. But then the Lord redirected, and he, what he ended up doing was move to Mexico and broadcast Christian radio programs. Wow. So when I was little, and we lived in the state of Michoacan, and now I had a sister, so then there were two of us, and then Matthew, the thirdborn, was born there. Oh, wow. Um, he, every day he went up to his office, and it was a lot like this. I remember him with the, the microphone, and he was doing those reel-to-reel um, and creating programs, awesome. Bible reading, music in Spanish, all in Spanish. And he was the radio announcer. That's cool. So he did that for a few years. And we attended local churches there. And he always supported the local ministry of the pastor there. Um, so I have many memories of driving in the van with my dad up to the mountains in the hills um, where he would preach under a, a gas lantern with bugs flying all around. Oh, my goodness. And I was on the ground playing in the dirt, but he was standing playing the guitar under the gas lantern and just the joy of the believers that I remember a lot of joy growing up. That's amazing. And their ministry. And then he did that for years and years until the Mexican government 
made it illegal to have Christian radio broadcasting in Mexico. Wow. And so then he um, he continued preaching in the ranches around the city. Um, then he started to um, encourage the local pastors to start Christian schools in their churches. Oh, okay. So he would go. He'd get curriculum in the States that was translated into Spanish, bring it down, and established little Christian schools all over um, Mexico. In the churches. And by this time, I was a teenager, so he would incorporate us kids into helping him, Mm -hmm. like even teach, you know, teaching kids to read. And he always emphasized a lot of scripture memorization and a lot of scripture into the curriculum. And so he did that until I was married. So. And you said that you and your husband um, spent some time down there when you were first mm-hmm. married? Yes, my husband was helping him develop a Mexican curriculum, a Spanish, I'm sorry, a Spanish curriculum that could be free for the people awesome. to use. And he kind of set it up like a library system where they could check it out and then return it when they were done so awesome. that other families could use it. And um, my husband was helping work on that project. That's so when cool. We were living there. That is so cool. Mm-hmm. So what does that look like for you and your family now? I know your family still has connections down there and ways that mm-hmm. they're involved. My father passed away um, 14 years ago. Okay. Our son Daniel is 14, and he was born one month later after my dad passed okay. away from an illness, and he's buried up in the hills in Mexico. Um, my mom and all the kids moved to the state of We lived in the state of Michoacan originally, then we moved to the state of Guerrero, and then after daddy died, we moved to Chiapas, and it's the southernmost state in Mexico. It borders Guatemala. She was invited by a pastor there to move the family down there. I was already married and gone, Mm. long, long gone, long time ago. My mom and dad have 10 kids, and they had also taken in a whole bunch of kids off the streets and from orphanages, and so they had 10 extra children or so, give or take a few, because kids would just jump in and want to move with them. And so mom and all this big group of children moved to Chiapas, and um, eventually she, her health was really, really poor. So she moved back to Washington Mm. with my three youngest sisters. And then um, my brother, Matthew, and my sister, Susie, were young adults, but very responsible. And they had grown up helping take care of all those children. Mm -hmm. So they became the house parents in this big foster home. Wow. And that home has morphed into now, it's called Camp Amos. Mm -hmm. And so several of my siblings, we all, um, so how it looks for us is, my brother Matthew's still there mm-hmm. and running this house. And my kids, we encourage them to take mission strips and go help. That's awesome. And so our kids all like to, they've taken turns going down for a few months at a time and, and helping. And so now there's a staff there and there's a teacher and there's cooks. And it's become a really beautiful, beautiful thing. That's amazing. For the Lord. I love that. I love hearing yeah. that. And I love that you guys have encouraged your kids to go down and help. And mm-hmm. that it's become this family, mm-hmm. this family thing. That's incredible. And I feel like with missions, I, I, um, I don't feel like we categorize it. Like you're not, you're, you're not only a missionary if you're in another country. Mm-hmm. Jesus calls us to be a missionary here too. So 
um, with growing kids here in America. I've always tried to keep that missionary mentality and and share with our neighbors or share with um, people, have people into our home. The Hispanic culture is very open and very hospitable. Mm -hmm. And so I praise the Lord for all the experiences we had with brothers and sisters in Christ inviting us in when they literally had nothing to offer, but they would kill you their last chicken and feed it to you. Wow! And so being able to experience that kind of generosity and love from the believers is something that I want to give to my kids. Yeah. I want them to experience that and be that way yeah. too. <laughs> I'm sure that created so. a different, probably a different family culture approach for mm-hmm. you um, when you were raising kids here too, is that you'd had mm-hmm. that experience when you were younger mm-hmm. and then getting to bring that into raising kids mm-hmm. now. Yeah, it's it's been really fun. The Mexican culture taught us to love kids, and that's why we wanted to have a lot of kids. That was why. My dad used to tell the Mexicans, it's because of you guys, because back then everyone had huge families down there, and they weren't wealthy. They were very poor people, but you would see this family atmosphere and this support of they all work together. Mm-hmm. It's very family-oriented. So that is that's something that rubbed off on us. That's a bit. awesome. I love that. I love that so much. And we need more of that now, mm-hmm. right? You know, there's a, mm-hmm. a very different feel about kids and family now than mm-hmm. even even ten years ago that I can remember. Yes. So more we need more of that, more of the family yes. approach and know, knowing and being aware of what a blessing each yeah. each child is. Yes. And Children are a blessing. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so I would love if you would share a story or two of mm-hmm. like your favorite stories that you have from your time in in missions in Mexico mm-hmm. or even stories that you have to share um, with a missionary mindset here. Whatever you have to share with us, I'd love. I love the stories. The stories are, yeah, what keeps, I don't know, it's just amazing. And some of them are so incredible. You want, you think, wow, could that have happened? But the way dad was about his faith was like he was all in. I'm going to trust God no matter what. Um, and so he had all these kids. And my grandma wrote a poem about this. And she wrote a song, my mom's mom. She was our she was our cheerleader and from the state side. And we'd always stay with her when we were back. We call her Grandma B. And she's gone to be with the Lord now. But she wrote this beautiful song. I'm not going to read it right now. But just about the crazy Volkswagen bus full of kids driving to Mexico on these old roads, you know, just and God's protection over us. And so one story, and I've always, this is my favorite, one of my favorites. I was five years old and we were driving in our Volkswagen van back to the United States and um, the van, the engine blew up. And so it was a two lane highway, semi trucks going 70 miles an hour down and up that corridor to the U.S. border. Mm. And so it was in the night. And I remember crawling into the front seat on my dad's lap and saying, Daddy, what are we going to do? Is someone going to stop and help us? And he said, oh, we're going to pray and God will send somebody. And I said, but what if he doesn't? What if nobody comes? And then my dad said to me, if he can't find somebody to send, he'll send an angel. Wow. And it was so, it was so comforting. And I crawled back into the back seat and fell asleep. <laughs> so you were comforted. <laughs> and, um, and then the semi, nobody stopped and he had no resources. I mean, you couldn't call AAA. 
And um, this big semi-truck was coming, and for some reason or another, he went from going full speed to only being able to go five miles an hour. And he passed our van at five miles an hour to where my dad could roll down the window and yell at him. And the guy was talking back to my dad and asking what's going on. And the man offers to pull my dad's vehicle back to this gas station. Wow. And, oh, dad happened to have an extra engine in the back of the van. <laughs> so these kinds of things are very normal in our life. <laughs> like, oh. Our engine might blow up on the way back to the States. Maybe just bring another yeah. one in the back. <laughs> That's like the only time I think he ever had one and it, we needed it. My dad had never changed out an engine, so he pulls... That's not an easy job. (laughs) When I grew up, I asked my father, how did you know how to do that? Excuse me. He said, I read the manual. (laughs) So we pulled... This semi-truck driver pulls our vehicle back to the gas station, and... um, My dad spends that evening after sharing with the man, buying him some dinner, sharing him about the Lord. His marriage was falling apart. My dad was sharing hope with him. Felt like that was the whole reason why we broke down. And then he proceeds to spend the whole entire night replacing the engine with a flashlight. My mom is holding the flashlight. And he takes the old one out, puts the new one in. He bolts it all up together. And it works. Wow. It was just incredible. So that's one of my favorite stories. Because I was little and I just remember that God will take care of us, you know. I love that. And every time we was, we were sick a lot. A lot of bugs, you know. But my mom, I remember my mother just always praying for us and singing a song over us when we were sick. Yes, the Lord takes good care of me. And she would sing this song whenever we were throwing up over a bucket. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and I remember there being rainstorms and thunder storms. They have very, very bad storms down there. Um, more like tropical storms, you know? Yeah. And just the thunder and throwing up when I'm really little. And But Mom's singing this song. And I feel so comforted. And I just know, yes, Jesus is taking care. He's going to take care of me. And then I'll just have one more story. We, we have lots of time. So you- okay. Dad was going to travel over a dangerous mountain pass from the mid-inland <clears throat> um, Guerrero to the coast. And it was a road, two-lane two highway that's very curvy, um, very narrow. And we had heard everybody was getting hijacked on this road. Oh, wow. And so... You know, bandits were just out there to get you if you went on that road. And so, but he had to go for whatever reason. I don't remember why he had to make this journey to the coast to a church over there. And so we all prayed and he left and he came back. He came back well. He came back fine after a couple of weeks. And he told us what happened is he was on the journey on the road. And when he realized that there were army trucks in front of him and then he looked in his rearview mirror and there were army trucks behind him and he was in the middle of an army convoy going over the mountains wow and just again just realizing god has got you you know wow. <laughs> he put him right smack in the middle that was not planned but those bandits decided not to not to rob cars that particular afternoon <laughs> especially not a car in between two army vehicles 
Yeah. So God took care of him. And um, yeah, just it was very exciting having a life of trusting the Lord. And whenever things would happen that went wrong, dad would say, hmm, I wonder why that was supposed to happen. Because <laughs> he knew there's a reason. That's amazing. I love that so much. So through all of that, and you kind of shared a little bit with um, all the things that, um, all the ways that you saw God providing, whether that was um, providing for your safety or for your health or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some other things that God has taught you through that experience or even just throughout your life? What are some of the biggest things that God has taught you? I think the biggest thing was um, as I've been a mother and raised children, and even lived in the United States, we have a lot more comforts, but you still have a lot of worry, you know, in your mind, especially raising kids. Yes. And um, the biggest thing I think I've learned from that experience is to trust, trust the Lord, Um, trust in God. He is provider. I've learned he is redeemer. He's, he, um, he is, He's everything. So like we've mingled with a lot of people throughout all those years of being missionaries. We would stay with poor people. We would stay with rich people. We would meet, you know, wealthy, you know, just all different kinds of homes, experiences in the U.S. and in Mexico. And just seeing that God isn't limited by resources. Like, you know, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He's not limited by our own human resources. Mm-hmm. So if he wants something done, he's going to provide for it. And one of my dad's favorite sayings that he had, he had this little saying taped to his computer, was God's work done God's way will never lack God's supply. I love that. And I think he took that from um, Hudson Taylor, the missionary. But it was just this knowing God will provide. If we're sick, God can heal. If we're, if we need food, God can provide the food. In some way, He provided for Elijah mm-hmm. <laughs> at yeah. the brook. So um, that kind of trust. When I met my husband and his father and family, they uh, he my my father in law. He asked me so when um, when things go wrong or when you don't have what you need, what do you do in those circumstances? And this was before I was dating Jim or anything. And I said, well, then we have to trust the Lord. And it was just like ABC, you know, Mm -hmm. it was just so simple because that's how we were raised and we saw that happen. And so you don't have to worry because you just have to trust the Lord. (laughs) Later, many, many years later, he reminded me that I said that because I didn't think about it really. And he yeah. said, I love that. I love that what you said. And I said, yeah, it's, it's real. God is real. We can trust him. He's got us. <laughs> I love that. That's something that we work really hard on with our kids too, is to really press that upon their hearts that God provides. And we had a situation this summer where our, basically mm-hmm. our engine blew up on the way to family camp this summer. And the Lord totally provided um, one of our friends who was also heading to the same place, mm-hmm. was there able to help us. And they put all myself and all of our kids in their uh, motorhome and transported us the rest of the way. And other friends came and got our trailer and all these moving pieces. And mm-hmm. I just 
in that moment, it could, <clears throat> it would have felt really easy to just be like, okay, well, this is a bad thing that's happening. Mm-hmm. But I just really wanted to press upon the hearts of my children. Like God has provided, he provided these people to take care of us. He provided a way for us to get there. And with all these things, we still got to go to camp, like yeah. all these things. And so, mm-hmm. um, I love that that's the example you set for your kids and for others around you, mm-hmm. uh, that God, that we can trust him and he's faithful. We don't have to, we don't ever have to worry about his faithfulness. He's mm-hmm. proven himself faithful That's right. um, all throughout history. And then we get to see that in the history of our own lives too. So I love that. Yes, he is faithful. I love that. Well, one question that we ask everybody who comes on is what does hope mean to you? This being the living in hope podcast. And I know that's sometimes kind of a strange question to ask because it feels like it could be so many different things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd love to hear what your response to that is. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Um, it all starts with the one who is faithful. I think where it says in Hebrews ten twenty three, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Yeah. It's him. Yeah. It's not our circumstances. It's not what might happen in the future. Even, you know, in the hardest circumstances that we're going through, we can still look to God because it's him who we have. We've really thrown everything on him, right? Yeah. When we decided to trust him with our salvation. So it's he gives us hope. And I love the verse in Hebrews 11, 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So again, it's like hoping, not hoping like, oh, I hope things get better, but hoping in God who will make things better. Yeah. So, um, and then in 2 Corinthians four eighteen, I just love these scriptures. We look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. Oh, and the scriptures always get me. <laughs> You're not alone. I get that same for me. <laughs> for things, the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So this is just like my grandma said when I held her hand and she was passing away and she had trusted Christ her whole life. And I said, Grandma, we're going to miss you so much. And she said, Honey. This is just the beginning. <laughs> I love that. So I think this is our um, our practice. You know, this life here is just just um, the rehearsal. You yeah. know, for our real life with Jesus that comes next. And so when we do have things go wrong or trials, we hope in the Lord. We trust in His promises. And his promises are so true and real. And that's why we need to be in the word. And the older I get, I realize I need to be reminded daily of his promises. And then hope in those and pray for my children, for our church family, for our neighbors, for the world. Pray God's kingdom to come and his will be done in our life as it is in heaven. I love that. So that's my hope. (laughs) That's wonderful. That's so encouraging for me, too. I Mm. needed that today. Mm. Well, Sarah, I'm just so thankful that you were able to be on here with me today. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here. This has been wonderful, and I know it's going to encourage so many people as well. Thank you so much. It was a real privilege to get to share. Thank you. (laughs) He is faithful. Yes. 
I can't think of a better way to end this year than with an episode reminding you of God's amazing love for us and of his constant protection and provision, even when we don't see it. As we celebrate Christmas, I pray that you keep Jesus at the very center of it all, remembering that God sent his son Jesus to redeem us and to save us. Hey, we're going to take a little break here on our podcast team to spend some time with our families, but we'll be back in the new year with more great stories of hope to share. In the meantime, may you be filled to overflowing with his peace, his love, his joy, and most of all, his hope. Have a Merry Christmas and come back and join us for our next episode on January 10th.